Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Somebody uh, with us now who always sports an edgier look is Jonathan DeBurka Butler, here to bring us stories from other parts of the world. Jonathan, good afternoon. Sean, how are you doing? <laughs> you went all street there. Uh, right, uh, Kenya, we're going to go uh, to now. And, uh, well, at, at the very least, an unfortunate story of a policeman who gets fired while he's in a coma. Yes, this was uh, Constable Ruben Kimutai Lel, who was the victim of a road traffic accident. And um, he obviously wasn't working uh, at the time uh, because he couldn't be identified from the clothes that he was wearing. In fact, he couldn't be identified at all. Ah. And um, when he was moved to hospital, he was moved to a very large hospital in Nairobi and he lay there for the next nine months. And oh. his family were looking for uh, for him. Um, now, in this particular piece, where I picked this particular piece up from, his niece was the spokesperson, right? So she she went out and she explained that she couldn't find her family anywhere. Uh, couldn't find her, her uncle anywhere, sorry. And um, uh, they went to lots of different hospitals. They eventually got a phone call from one of the hospitals where a person had turned up in a morgue. They went to identify the body. They thought, well, maybe it is him, but we're not sure. And then they took prints and they found out that it wasn't him. So they were about to reclaim a body that wasn't, in fact, him. In the meantime, uh, this man who worked for the police was sacked from his job and he was charged in absentia with desertion and a warrant was issued for his arrest for deserting his post. Now, that particular investigation was given up and the charges were dropped when the police couldn't actually find him. Nine months later, he wakes up, he gives his name and remembers that he's a policeman and people start putting two and two together and they find out that it is this man who has now been reinstated uh, in his job and he's back with his family. He's 56, uh, delighted to get his job back, so happy that he's going to retire. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Immediately, I assume. uh, Yeah, I think he he might be able to negotiate a fairly decent retirement package at this stage and uh, he'll probably sit out the rest of his life now and uh, try and remember the nine months of his life that went missing. What an extraordinary story. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's very strange indeed. But he, but the fact that he woke up and he's he's reasonably okay, is he? And he's yeah, he, he. I mean, his family thought he was dead, so I mean, he's doing a lot better than most people thought. Uh, he was able to, as I said, he was able to remember uh, that that he was a police officer and he was able to identify himself. But mm. the rest of the details were a bit my, sketchy. My, but my, I mean, at least yeah. he could remember that bit. And uh, yeah. I'm sure they'll be able to fill in the blanks for him. And uh, he'll have plenty of time to do it now, hopefully. Right. Now, uh, now an ally of Maduro is going to be uh, extradited to the US. Yeah, this is an extraordinary story. And it's one that's actually been going on for quite a long time. Uh, this is a man by the name of Alex Saab. He is a Colombian businessman. And um, I'll just put it into context for you. This is a guy who's wanted, um, has been kind of been looked at for a long time by the Colombians themselves but he's mm. also wanted by the United States of America and the reason for that is because he's a good pal of President Nicolas Maduro of uh, Venezuela right so it's Alex Saab's job to basically go around the world and try and get uh, trade deals uh, economic deals whatever you want that of course the USA really doesn't want Venezuela to have because there's lots of sanctions being being put on them by the United States right so he's done a few deals. He's on this watch list and he's in Iran um, basically exchanging gasoline for gold. Uh, the deal is done and he's flying back to Venezuela 
um, on a private jet when he stops off in Cape Verde, the islands off the off the uh, west coast of Africa there, and he's arrested. Now, there's a couple of things that are extraordinary about that. First of all, he was obviously being very closely tracked by the Americans. He knew mm. exactly where he was. But he was arrested by local authorities in Cape Verde, right? And the day after he was arrested, he was put on the Interpol's red list but the day after he was arrested, oh, no. not the day he was arrested. Yeah, so this is where yeah. things begin to go wrong a little mm. bit for, for, for both sides. So there has been several cases. Initially, I thought there was three, but actually there's been a lot more cases, right, uh, involving this particular, in this particular man who is still in Cape Verde and has been there since June of 2020, right? Uh, one case basically said yes we're going to extradite him from Cape Verde basically because of this international warrant even though to to preempt your question there is no uh, uh, extradition agreement between Cape Verde and the United States of America he then went and appealed that to sort of the European Union equivalent court there, ECOWAS, okay? Mm. And they said, no, you should let him go but the constitutional court now in Cape Verde has said, no, we need to extradite him and it's all very shady. In the meantime... Even though he was arrested before the red notice was issued, therefore exactly, the, the Cape Verde the authorities yeah. had no, author- and that's no the, reason. Absolutely. And that's the major point. And that's what all his lawyers are saying. And of course, Maduro is making a lot out of this. You know, he, Maduro, whatever you say about him, he's, he's, he's quite a, a man for the political manoeuvre, right? Yeah. He straight away made him the Venezuelan's ambassador to the Af- African Union, right? So, <laughs> right, that so would diplomatic, need, community. diplomatic community, right? Okay. But that, doesn't <laughs> but that was to, after he was arrested was probably he was arrested and, and, but there was a case on that and this is where it gets very complicated but there was a case on that taken in Miami in the United States right and that was thrown out of course because the US were never going to recognise that appointment mm. Maduro held a concert for him right in, in, uh, in the capital city right so he's making a lot out of this and he's obviously very close to him and he does a lot of good work for Maduro uh, in terms of you know making trade deals and that mm. but at the moment, it looks like the Constitutional Court earlier this month basically said, well, we're sticking with this. We're going to send them back. They haven't got a date yet, but it's actually not playing very well in Cape Verde itself. Right. So people aren't particularly happy about this. And, you know, the independence of the government there, uh, you know, how it's been bullied, mm, they yeah. feel, by the Americans. Yeah, plus also this chap is, you know, he's negotiating trade deals yeah. with Venezuela around the world where, uh, when and where he can. Yeah. He's not necessarily breaking any sanctions. I would have thought the sanctions are if he was, you know, exporting goods from Miami, that's mm. breaking the sanctions. But not if he does a trade deal with Iran. Yeah, Surely. I suppose. I don't know. I don't think the Americans see it that, that way. way. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, I, we'd really be getting into the nitty gritty of it yeah. there, to be honest with you. But I mean, it... it the, they they want this guy so badly, right, that they sent a ship off the coast of Cape Verde to make sure that either the Iranians or another rogue state, let's mm. call it that, okay, for, as they would call it, as yes. they would call it, okay, rogue state will come in and and, and take him out. Um, so that's that's how how badly they want this guy, right. Right, India we're going to go to next where uh, a man uh, has been shot in court. Yeah, two men posing as lawyers shot dead a gangster inside a courtroom in Delhi. So the the gangster in question is a man called Jaitender Mangoji. All right, he's just known as Goji. That's his nickname. And he's an extraordinary character. He was an extraordinary character. He was arrested a few years ago um, for various different things. He was a a career criminal, uh, part of a drugs gang, um, wanted for several dozen murders, uh, various different things like that. A a, a very unsavoury character. Uh, But it would appear 
that the killing was carried out by a rival gang who planned the attack. Now, it's a classic story. The, the gang who we believe carried out the other attack is headed up by one of his former friends. And when I say friends, they went to university together. Right. right? Okay. This is where the argument stemmed from. Apparently, mm. they were backing two separate candidates in some sort of university election. And it got so heated that basically the, uh, the, the friend of this guy, Goji, attacked the candidate. And there's been back and forth reprisals ever since. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary, their background. Uh, absolutely amazing. And, and, and that it turned into And they both are running their own criminal And they're gangs. both running very, very uh, big criminal organisations. I mean, they're on the most wanted lists, uh, in, in, you know, police most wanted list in, in delis. And they're, and they're dangerous individuals, or at least they were. Uh, but the, the audacity of doing this in a courtroom. Yeah, of having something to, else. Uh, and uh, did the, the people who, dr- who pretended to be lawyers, did they just get away with it? No, they didn't. They were shot, uh, shot dead straight oh. away. So they didn't get away with it either. Um, but it does, of course, raise questions over security in, in, in courts uh, in Delhi, obviously. So yeah, it's quite frightening. Did these people just volunteer for a suicide mission? <sighs> I, cu- I, couldn't, I couldn't say. Couldn't yeah. say. Uh, right. Uh, the uh, Mexico will negotiate next. And uh, prosecutors there are seeking arrest warrants from more than 30 scientists. Yeah, it's another bizarre story. This is 31 scientists, researchers and academics who have been arrested or at least warrants have been issued by the chief prosecutor. And they're accused of organised crime, money laundering and embezzlement. Now, as you can imagine, the uh, academic community there are a little bit shocked. And they basically say that these are ridiculous accusations against these people. There's an ongoing feud between academia or parts of academia and the government, right, which is headed up by President uh, Manuel Obrador. Okay, he's been around for a while now. And uh, an awful lot of it stems from, you know, different viewpoints on what happened during the pandemic and how that was dealt with. Okay, it's it's a we've seen it in a few places, Mm -hmm. obviously, most notably in America, where, you know, Trump didn't really like what he was being told by, um, you know, his his, his chief medical advisor or whatever it was. And it's the same pretty much in in uh, in Mexico. Right. So a couple of years ago, there was a law that was passed in 2019, which stopped members of advisory boards receiving money from a government science fund okay so that's that's the first thing right a year later Obrador then decided to shut down 109 trust funds to the value of about $3 billion, right? So these were trust funds that basically were ring-fenced for research and everything else around science. But he said that it was it was a way of these guys just getting corrupt payments into their back pocket. Now, it seems that there wasn't a chance of that ha- happening at all and he had no proof of it. Now it would appear he is looking for that proof by arresting these 31 academics and basically accusing them of getting about two and a half million dollars in total between them. Right. right? Okay. And and are, are there any, are they specific about if these scientists are in receipt of all these corrupt payments, what's it in return for? Yeah, good point. I, I, I mean, what are they getting the money in return for? Yeah. 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 No, I don't, I don't think so. There's no, there's no specific accusations as such. They're just saying that this is, a, this is kind of a, I don't know, a honeypot basically where these people go and they take money and they, they just put it in their own back pocket. But as I said before, he has no proof. So presumably this is all about getting that proof or at least presenting it because he's trying to shut the, down these trusts and he's trying to uh, you know refunnel the money into uh, um, reactions to mm. the pandemic right yeah. so three billion quid is quite a lot you know? yeah, yeah. And so he's saying well we need it for 
hospitals and to keep people safe and that kind of thing. That's how he's packaging it anyway. Right, okay. But and the academics are saying that he's after them because he goes after journalists, academics, that kind of thing. So this is this is what it, it really is, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There's a problem with organised crime in Mexico. Is, oh, is big he, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, he's aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, <laughs> Kosovo, Kosovo we're going to go to uh, next and uh, tensions on the border there. Yeah, uh, this is tensions between uh, Kosovo and Serbia, which, you know, there's been a lot of tension ever since uh, Kosovo de- declared its independence in two- February 2008. And I suppose one of the things that the Serbians have done for a very long time at the border is they've taken off registration plates from Kosovan registered cards that are going into Serbia, right? And they mm. charge them something like $6 every time. So you can imagine, you know, it's, 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 I'm sure it's like the border here. You know, life still went on over yeah. and back across the border. But if you have to pay six quid for, you know, a 60-day 60, 60 licence, not sorry, not every day, but for a 60-day licence, it's going to add up. And it's going to annoy people, right? So there was a deal done in 2016 by the European Union, where Kosovo and Serbia were finally going to recognise each other's registration plates as being okay inside each other's countries. That was supposed to... So so Serbia was supposed to step down the replacing of the registration plates on the uh, 20th of September, but it didn't. So the Kosovans, uh, the Kosovars, sorry, sent their army up to the border and basically any Serbian cars that were coming in, they started doing the same and charging them money. So there's now been a standoff on both sides. So it's really stupid stuff, okay? yeah. really stupid, but it is the type of thing yeah, that leads escalate. to real yeah. tension. And, and, and it is. I mean, there's strikes on the Serbian side of the border. Presumably they're stopping Kosovars from getting back into Kosovo uh, and that kind of thing. Um so, you know, the European Union, the United States, uh, the, the, those kind of entities are, are looking at the two of them and saying, you know, try and calm down here and get this sorted out before it gets worse. Yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, a Catalan leader has been released from detention. Is, is that a sign of things calming down? It could be. It could be. Um, you know, there's a couple of strands to this. This is Carlos Puigdemont, who was the leader, of course, of that independence referendum mm. back in October of 2017. There, there has been a, an arrest warrant put out for him by the, by the Spaniards. Um, he was in Sardinia. Uh, he was there to, to visit a cultural event. But of course, the Sardinians would have uh, an independence movement of their own. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so it's interesting from that point of view, because, you know, the Italians arresting him were probably saying, we're not into these independence movements too much and we don't like you peddling those wares on our on our turf, right? Mm. So they arrested him anyway. I think he was held for three days um, and he has to go back at the beginning of October for an extradition hearing to see will he be sent back to Spain. It's highly unlikely that he will um, at this moment in time. It's very complicated. But there are, to answer your initial question, are things calming down there? There are um, sort of some indications you know, there was nine uh, Catalan leaders who were arrested, you know, back in mm. 2017, detained in Spain, and they've been pardoned now by the new Spanish prime minister. So he's trying to kind of calm things down a little bit. And, and they are talking to each other, at least, but not to Puigdemont. Yeah. Jonathan, thanks, thanks uh, a million as ever. Jonathan de Burke Butler, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, we're going to be talking to Miriam Margulies. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.